Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. This encore episode is brought to you by North Strat Incorporated. Do you have experience as a contracting officer for an intelligence community agency like the National Reconnaissance Office? Do you have experience as a contracts manager for a government contractor, including proposal development and pricing strategies? North Strat is looking for you. North Strat Incorporated is a small, agile, and growing government contractor headquartered in Dulles, Virginia. North Strat is looking for an experienced contracts manager to help shape the future of the company. You will establish, organize, and manage the corporate contracting office while ensuring FAR and DFARS compliance. North Strat offers outstanding benefits, employee stock ownership, and many other great perks. North Strat has a small company culture and takes a personal interest in every employee. If you or a friend would like to be part of a dynamic growing company where you will directly affect the success of the organization, email your resume to recruiting at northstrat.com. That's N-O-R-T-H-S-T-R-A-T dot com. Northstrat is an equal opportunity employer. You must be a U.S. citizen and able to obtain and maintain a security clearance. Our topic for this episode is staffing and all the variables that impact industry's ability to provide resources, and I'm talking about people, to meet the government's requirements. All right, let's get started. Why are you so fired up with staffing is staffing? Well, so I had this, uh, this company that they had a, a lot of employees and they're their service contractor and they're on a Skyway client. It was a couple of years ago. And, and, and he asked me to help him with the service contracts. And so I go to his office and we start looking over the RFP. Of course, the RFP was already out, right? And it was for engineering services and analysis and you know, some project management services. And I was kind of shocked to look at this RFP because he he specialized in embedded translators. <laughs> so not even close. Yeah, I was like, why are you going after this? And he says, oh, well, staffing is staffing. I can find these people. And I, I kind of cringed. I'm oh. thinking that doesn't really jive, right? Flashing lights, bells going off. Yeah, exactly. So we ended up passing on helping him. It wasn't a fit. I'm not even sure if he went after it. I'm not sure if he won. But the staffing staffing thing really stuck with me. I think that belief staffing and staffing, it could be one of the reasons that contracting officers get more proposals than they expect or should get and why some companies target more opportunities than they should. Before we get too deep, let's recap from our What is a Service Contract episode. Services contracts are defined in FAR 37101. Got to make sure we get a FAR reference in this thing somewhere, right? <laughs> Check. Services Done. contract is a contract that directly engages the time and effort of a contractor whose primary purpose is to perform an identifiable task rather than to furnish an end item of supply. And we talked all about why that's different in the What is a Services Contract episode. Moving on to the time zones. Where does this fit? It actually goes across all of the acquisition time zones and all of the execution time zones. And, and the one that jumps out at me is the market research side, the market research zone. And this idea of staffing is staffing. If, if we think that when we're looking at market research, we're not looking for people that specialize in this kind of work. We're not, people who, we're not looking for people who specialize in hiring people that do things like engineering and program management as opposed to embedded translators. You know, it's, it's not just staffing. There are people with skills and you want those people. So the yeah. market research is the first place to look for that. Yeah. Are you looking at companies that are engineering services companies or looking at companies that are staffing companies that try to hire people that know something about engineering? There's a difference. There's <laughs> a big difference. And it matters because if you get to the performance zone, if you're in the execution phase and you get to the performance zone – and you've hired, you've given a contract to a staffing company, 
you might have trouble with that staffing and with the performance because you're not getting the right kind of people. You think you did, but you might not. And why, that's why is this so important? That's what we're talking about. That's what we've kind of teed up here. To give you a feel of personally what this looks like for, for Skyway, for Skyway Acquisition Company, we're really good at finding former contracting officers who understand the federal market, right? If we started doing translation services, I, I don't even know where to find those people. Other than going on LinkedIn and Googling and, and you know, maybe finding a, a, hopefully finding somebody who specializes in it, that whole idea of finding for service contractors in particular, finding the people and keeping them and figuring out what, what, what makes them stay long-term, what they're afraid of, how to pick the good ones from bad ones, all that stuff. Staffing is not just staffing. You gotta, we're talking about people that are good at things, not just people that can show up. So treating it like just staffing ends up as a race to the bottom when you're talking about performance. This is so important to talk about because it's that communication between government and industry that makes a difference here. And this is always our foot stomper, right? Communication, communication, communication. And without communication between the government and industry, you're, you really end up, you know, your recruiting and staffing ends up being a numbers game. It's well, all these people are going to be replaced. So, you know, the government has to end up approving the resumes because, well, we don't trust that you're going to be able to find the right people. So now we, the government, want to be able to look at the resumes of the people that are coming in because you're getting the wrong people. Well, the people, that, the reason they're getting the wrong people is because it wasn't, you didn't hire somebody who actually knew where to find them in the first place. Yeah. It like as soon as you get it to government approving resumes, then you flirt with that line of personal services or not, right? That's, That's a really good point. Yeah. Another rabbit hole. Stay away. Where I want to go with this is if it's true that staffing is staffing, then every company is the same. And the only differentiator here is price. In order to win in a competition, a services competition based on price, Companies have to pay employees the lowest salaries, they have to have the least expensive benefits, and the lowest corporate overhead, so, so their management costs, their facilities, the infrastructure, the other people that assist the employees. They may not have to have all three of those, but they have to have most of those in order to win and be able to perform at the lowest price. If you're on the government side, is this who you want as your services contractor? Think, think about that, a personal type of example. If you are choosing a daycare facility for your children, do you want to leave your children all day with the daycare provider that pays the lowest salaries and the worst benefits and has the worst facilities? I don't think so. But if all you're looking at is price, that's what you're going to get. Again, as a contracting officer, I, I didn't see this as clearly. And, and, but now looking back, the indicators of this is chronic staffing problems. Of when you have new people coming in constantly, you have, oh, we got a new person for this. Oh, this person now moved over there. When, when you start to see more people moving through your organization, more contractor people moving through your organization, it's because probably on day one, this is the job they could find, and they're going to leave as soon as they find another one. And that sounds harsh, but that's a huge indicator. Again. And I didn't see it as I yeah. saw it as a, oh, the management's not really good at that company. They can't keep people. Right. Well, they it, can't keep people because they're not paying them well. could be the problem. Yeah. And it's important to remember here that both sides share responsibility for these problems. It's essentially mutually assured destruction. The government writes an RFP that leaves it so the only way to win is to bid the lowest price. Contractors fall for it and want to win and bid the lowest price. And what happens? Mission doesn't get accomplished. Nobody's happy in the end. 
let's talk about it specifically from the government side. If the government doesn't have clear targets, what they want, and understand what is actually available relative to the price they're willing to pay, the government's going to end up getting below-average performance from below-average people. One time we had an acquisition support contract, and so I'm the contracting officer, and the people that are supporting me are contract specialists who are contractors. And one of the – actually several in one year, we had several different people that came through in that position that they were people who would take the work, right? They didn't have a whole lot of – they had acquisition somewhere in their resume, but they didn't understand contract management. They didn't understand contract types. They didn't understand source selections. And I was very frustrated that over a one-year period, I had four different people cycle through there. And then finally, the fifth one was the one that really knew their stuff. And the reason – looking back, the reason for that was not only could they – these people weren't qualified, et cetera. But the problem was they probably couldn't find people that would do the work for that. And once they got in, I had the wrong people there. So me, as the, as the customer, going back to your example in the daycare, you get into the daycare and you realize, well, these people don't know anything about child development. I need to find a new daycare. So now you go looking. And that's what I was doing. I'm like, I need new people. And so it's sucking up my time too. And so that's what I mean. It's on both sides. Is that, you know, this is the mutually secure destruction is a great analogy for it. Yeah, if you don't write the right kind of RFP, if you're not able to communicate with the industry and make sure that you're actually trying to hire the right skill set at the right price – what you end up with is not getting the kind of people that you want or need. Like you were just saying, it takes longer to fill the positions if you can fill those positions at all. That gets back to staffing is staffing instead of focusing on the expertise. What I'm talking about is especially acute in high-demand professions. And by high-demand, right now, Basically, anything to do with cyber, anything with cyber in, in the job description is high demand. Software developers, especially in, in my world, Java developers are hard to come by. Another, another high demand profession, anything involving hazardous duty. If you remember back when we went into Afghanistan, we were providing contractors with very high benefits packages to go overseas to a hazardous place to do a job. After being there for several years, we start to pull out, budgets go down, contractors have been through multiple deployments, and what happens? The government starts looking at this and saying, wow, we're really paying a lot for this hazardous duty, so they start wanting to pay less and less and less. And they're dealing with people that have already gone through this hardship for many years. The experienced people now are maybe tired of being overseas. So what happens? You want to pay less. And the market, it doesn't have as many people that are ready to go overseas. So instead of saying you, you get maybe 50% more pay to do your job in Afghanistan, now maybe it's 10% more pay. What kind of people do you think that you get for those jobs? It's really tough. And especially, it's like double jeopardy if any type of security clearance is required because then the pool is even smaller. The bottleneck on supply is even smaller. And the government needs to be aware of those market conditions. Again, this goes back to supply and demand, the law of supply and demand rules here. You have to be cognizant of that if you're on the government side. And supply and demand leads you back to well, what do you get for the lowest price? What, what will demand give you for the lowest price? Yeah, the government, it, it is essential that the government in these situations gets really serious about what is a realistic price for what they're trying to buy and when they're buying it. And look at the market. 
there have been a lot of situations lately where the government has set up an RFP that leads industry to bid for the lowest price because that's the only way you can win. The government then awards to that lowest price and then is very frustrated with industry when there's staffing problems, when the, when, when the contractor can't actually hire people for the labor rates that they bid on the contract. What I'm talking about is there are no software developers with top secret clearances available in the D.C. area for $45,000 a year. If you can find one, you actually don't want that person to develop your software. I got to be careful. I don't want to point fingers too hard, but the government just needs to take some responsibility. The government needs to look at the labor rates and use some analysis and judgment to decide whether or not those positions can actually be filled. If they award a contract with lower rates than the market can supply, then the government has to accept some responsibility for the results of that award. And my, my fear here, and, and I'm raising my hand here as a contracting officer, a lot of times that when I found myself in this situation where I'm looking at the pricing for services, products, whatever, um, and pick, on, pick on service contracts here for, for the, the people doing the work, and I'm looking at the prices compared to what's in the RFP, what's in this, the proposals that I just got. And there's one person who says, hey, they can hire this guy for $45,000 a year. And the other folks are paying him, I don't know, 70, 70 some, something more, right? And so the, the challenge becomes inside this little bubble of the source selection of the four proposals that I got, this one stands out, right? But supply and demand is bigger than that. And that's why this communication about this problem has to start before the RFP. Is there needs to be a lot more open community. And I didn't do that. I'm firmly raising my hand saying this is not something we were serious about when we we're doing our market research. We did our market research on who can do the work, on how many companies, commercial, you know, is it a commercial or is it a, should we do it as a small business set aside? That's where we spend our time doing market research. I think something that's missing here is do your market research on what is this going to cost? You industry tell me, can you do this for $90,000 a year? Can you hire somebody for this? And then by the way, the other part of that is they may, be, they may make 90000 That means it's going to cost us, the government, 150 or 200 for that person, which is a whole other conversation. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. They, yeah, but I, I get what you're is. saying. It's actually – it's easier in a source selection if one bid a, a rate that equates to $45,000 a year salary and another one bid a rate that equates to $75,000 a year salary. Or actually if three of them are at seventy five and one's at forty five, you have an outlier and you know that could be an issue. The problem is a lot of RFPs lead – every contractor to bid at that $45 an hour rate because they think that's the only way to win because the government has not sh- proven to them through their previous selections that they're that they're only going to award to contractors with realistic prices. Another fashion, maybe, maybe fad, uh, hopefully it's over, is this <laughs> concept called greening, which means that over, the, over time on a services contract, or actually any contract, but works on services contracts too, Industry is going to lower the prices as the contract moves along. So essentially you're going to replace more experienced people with more junior people as we go, or somehow you're magically going to lower your rates. It's essential that the government understands that if a contractor proposes this kind of strategy, it's essential that the government understands how they're actually going to execute with those lower rates in future years. How are they going to hire people with lower rates? Because that's not the way the world usually works, right? Salaries don't usually go down. Yeah, this is this is a big red flag to me. That's why it, it makes me kind of crazy to, to think that I can't imagine an industry where people make less unless 
the rules of supply and demand, which, which affect the entire economy, are going to kick in. So, for example, that software developer made X amount in 2005 when the economy was chugging. Made a lot less than that in 2009 when things were dicey. Potentially. Probably making yeah. close to that. Yeah, potentially. Or probably making more than that now in 2016. So greening doesn't happen just magically. In fact, I really I have a huge issue with that as a concept because think about what you're saying is that, okay, the price of, of people is independent of inflation because those people are using that money to buy milk for their family. The milk isn't getting cheaper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like it's, it's insane to even think that this, this – and, yeah. and maybe I'm missing – I'd love to hear somebody's perspective on no. it. But it. That is a huge red flag for me. It is. It is. And, and the government has enabled it by awarding to contractors that have these strategies and then they're frustrated later when they have trouble staffing contracts. The last thing to say here, why the government should care. I I just want to, I want to hit on escalation and this is greening is a part of that, right? One size fits all is not true for labor escalation. The, The law of supply and demand matters here. You might think that 5% a year is too high of escalation for salaries. But for certain types of jobs, especially where the market is booming, that might be too low. You might not be able to hire people if you're not able to give raises the way the commercial industry is giving raises. Yeah, and, and this this concept of supply and demand, it, it can't play out during the evaluation process. It's got to play out ahead of time. And so it, that's why we constantly talk about communicating is that there are things looking back that I'm like, wow, I really wish I'd had a deeper conversation about price, services and, and, and otherwise, but particularly in services. Wish I had a deeper conversation about what, what is, how expensive do we think this is going to be two years from now? And that communication has got to start sooner. So everyone within the sound of my voice, <laughs> start talking about price at the same time you do market research on everything else. Okay, I don't want everybody to think that I'm government bashing here because industry is part of this problem. It's just like you're saying, the time to talk about this stuff is before the RFP and before performance starts. Industry plays into this. If industry, if companies treat staffing like staffing, it just exacerbates the issue. The These price shootouts, they generally lead to recruiting problems, staffing problems, because Contractors are trying to hire people at what the proposal team thought was the price to win. People get all wrapped up. Industry gets all wrapped up in the price to win without focusing enough on the price to execute, in my opinion. So the labor market does not care about your price to win. It just it just doesn't. The laws of supply and demand don't That's, care that is a, about that is what you have to repeating. win. The labor market does not care about your price to win. Put that on a billboard because it's it's a very it's a very elegant way of saying this concept of don't pretend that all of the people on this service contract are only looking at this industry or this RFP. Right, you're competing They're against every job. other contractor for that talent. You're competing against every other commercial company for that talent. I mean, think about it. Software development is a tough place to hire now because you're not competing with just software developers for other government contractors. You're competing with the Googles and the Facebooks and every other technology company that's trying to hire the best and the brightest software developers. And one offshoot of that is that this concept of a contingent letter, when you have in your proposal, hey, when we get this contract, this this software developer, we're on a theme here, so we'll stick with that. And a contingent letter says, when we get this contract, we're going to hire this guy. Well, if he's a software developer and it takes, I mean, let's be realistic, most major source selections take three months, six months, a year. I mean, it takes a while, right? 
that is dangerous ground to be on. And I, I realize it's unavoidable because that's that service contracts. I get it. If you don't have the work yet, you can't hire the people. I understand that, particularly on small business set asides. But just be aware that this is how this stuff happens. When somebody says, well, these 15 people that we're going to hire, look, we had a contingent letter from them. They said, hey, they would all work for us. But you know what? Six months from now. And that's that's the tough part about being a services contractor in the government industry to to win you have to bid low, but winning a services contract with the lowest price, it can be a recipe for, for a management and staffing nightmare unless you have a real clear plan for how the prices that you've proposed will make you profitable. The lowest salaries do not get you the best resources. Sorry, supply and demand again. Right, You're going to have higher turnover as your employees look for jobs with higher pay and better benefits. That's all there is to it. You're also going to need to spend i've already said this you're going to need to spend more time more management attention managing people that are willing to work for the lowest salaries and managing the turnover and managing your government customer who's really frustrated because you have so much turnover there you go so let's wrap this up the important takeaway here is that the government and the industry both share responsibility when they're operating on this staffing is staffing concept if the market research and the RFP and the proposals drive you to just lowest price as the way to win, you're going to have – I won't say – I won't promise you're going to have. You're very likely to have a problematic program, problematic performance. So what can we do about that? Well, I'll, I'll jump in with the targeting. <laughs> yeah. If your industry, just walk away from the from the RFPs and opportunities that you see that are going to be a race to the bottom. We call it a knife fight. If it looks like it's going to be a knife fight. Just walk away from it. And tell. And here's the here's the part that I recommend. Tell the government you're doing that. And why? Tell them that. Yeah. Yeah. We're not bidding on this because it looks like it's going to be lowest price. And we, based on the evaluation criteria we see, this is going to be lowest price. And we're sure we're not going to be able to get good people and perform well for yeah. you, based on these evaluations. You criteria. government are going to get what you pay for if that's the way you want to go. I don't and- say it that way. And it's gonna <laughs> poke him in the eye. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But it's so hard on the industry side to walk away from anything because, especially if, if you're a small business, you got to keep the lights on, feed the kids, right? If you're a large business, if you're a public company, you got to provide value to your shareholders. How do you do that? It's by growing. So it's hard to walk away from things. That's why we always talk about targeting. Make sure that you're spending your time and energy focusing on the right opportunities. Well, I got off on a targeting tangent there. No, it's, this is this is key. And, and, and on the government side, we always talk about targeting from the government side, right? So write the RFP to be hyper-targeted to that engineering and program management support people so that the guy who is doing the, the translation, embedded translation services, without me telling him, realizes, wow, I can't even find these people. You know, write, write the requirement so that you, your expectation of the people, they're going to know the following things. They're going to know how to find information. They're going to know the things that you know they need to know when they perform under this contract. And sometimes RFPs are just, oh, find somebody with acquisition background. That's a pretty low bar. What you want them to do is to be able to support source, five source selections a year that run up to $100 million. That's a different skill. That's what I mean. That's what I'm talking about targeting. Make it hypercritical. These are the things these people need to do. And that way these staffing is staffing people. It's going to be hard for them to prove that, yeah, I'll find them on Monster. Yeah, good luck. This, an industry's responsibility in this equation is to educate the government about what what is the floor for labor rates and salaries in this industry. The government may not know. They may not have the expertise to really understand 
all the market conditions that are driving this. Communicate, communicate, communicate. We, we never talk about, about a floor for pricing. You know, recently I've seen the government send out some RFPs where they, they actually share the government's estimate of what the range of the total price of this contract should be. They know about how many people it should be, and they're offering up a price range and saying, hey, if you come in outside of this price range, you need to explain how you can do it cheaper or why it costs more. And if you don't explain that, we're going to assess your proposal as higher risk, and you're probably not going to win. And I think that's a great strategy as long as the government follows through with it and actually does that and doesn't just end up awarding to the lowest bidder anyway. So here's my crazy idea. This is a shortcut strategy that will, will uh, alleviate some of these issues. Is what if you tell the offers, we're going to eliminate right out of the gate if we get, pick a number, where we get more than five proposals. We're going to eliminate the highest price and the lowest price right out of the gate. And number one, you're going to change the strategy for a lot of people. I get that. But I mean, I wish I had thought of that as a contracting officer. I have like, no <laughs> idea how I would bid that. I, just think, thinking about that from the industry side. What, what do you do if you're not trying to be the lowest priced? Right. I tell you what I think you're going to do. You're going to, you're going to price to execute. Yeah. Because if you're trying not to be the lowest price, if you're absolutely trying not to be the lowest price, you're going to end up with a clump of companies in theory. And this is a fun thing. You know what? Again, I, I wish I had thought of this as a company. Because <laughs> this will show where the price floor is. Because, because you're going to see, you know what? I, I don't want to be the lowest price. But of course, you don't want to be the highest price either. So you got to thread that needle. And that forces you to target. It I love will force it. Force everybody to target. So there's my crazy idea for the week. I love it. I love it. I think it might work. It'd definitely change behavior. I mean, it changes it changes the price to win equation from how low do we have to be to win to how realistic do we have to be to win. It's completely different. Yeah, and of course you're gonna have some people that are mad that they got kicked out because they were just lowest. But you know, it's it's that's the game. And honestly, what if how about this? Break it into a two step steel bid, right? What <laughs> break it into two pieces and say, give me your price first. And that way you don't have to write all the technical volume. You don't have to write the past performance volume. You just say, this is a price I would do it for. Submit that first and then knock it out and low. And then the rest of the folks can submit their overall proposal. So, so what not to do is don't assume that people were just bid anyway. I, I did that as a contracting officer. I knew we were, going to commit. we were going to get competition. And we did, but it wasn't the best people. A lot of times it was, well, not okay, a lot of times. Several times I can think of, I know we got a couple of companies that they were doing the staffing, the staffing thing. They just showed up and they would not have shown up if I'd have written a, a more uh, critical RFP, if I'd have been more specific. And so we just assume, oh, yeah, we'll get competition. You're going to get somebody to show up. But we, you, you don't want just somebody going back to your point. About, you know, you don't want the, the you don't want the, the person that will do it for the least serving you. You want people who are good at it. Right. Industry plays into this by by just by being a part of the problem by bidding anyway. Even even if the RFP is clearly just driving to the lowest price, which leads to the the most difficulty to perform. Industry doesn't attack that during the communication. Maybe attacks too strong. Industry doesn't debate that during the the communications pre RFP and help the government craft an RFP that is not a race to the bottom. Right? Industry just says, "All right, that's what it is. I'm going to bid." And and sometimes. Sometimes there's communications back and forth and the government knows what they want to do and they do it anyway. Man, now I'm finger pointing. <laughs> so let me wrap this whole thing up by saying if government and industry are communicating, hopefully we can avoid this race to the bottom. It goes back to our old Hanlon's razor principle. Don't assume malice. 
where a lack of knowledge suffices, the government may not know that their RFP is driving a race to the bottom. If industry doesn't tell them, then we all deserve what we get, right? <laughs> there you go. That's a great thought to wrap it up on. All right, that's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. 